The men and women leading the 21 sports at Campbell University have helped build and guide the Fighting Camels to one of their best years ever. They are talented and hardworking, and most importantly, great people. The kind of people you'd love to just sit down and have a cup of coffee with. Unfortunately, in this 10-second soundbite world we live in, we mainly only get coaches talking about how they won, why they lost, and what's next. This podcast tries to remedy that with two cups of coffee and a recorder. I'm Chris Amire, and this is Coffee with Coaches. As one of six kids with three older brothers, Justin Hare was competitive from day one. That fire to win lit early on led him to move up quickly the collegiate coaching ladder. As the head recruiting coordinator and assistant at Campbell, Hare helped guide Campbell to the best three-year stretch in program history. 131 wins, two conference championships, and an NCAA tournament berth. He was promoted to head coach after that NCAA tournament season and will begin his fourth season as head man for the Camels in February. Here's his story. Okay, Coach, uh, I kind of knew you would be a coach that would want coffee, and I brought you one as well. Uh, There's few people in the baseball world I know that don't drink coffee. Tell me a little bit about your coffee habits and what you're drinking today. Um, I'm drinking a large Dunkin' Donuts regular coffee with a little bit of cream and two Splenda, which is the way I take my coffee. This is my third cup of coffee today. I've got three boys at home and a wife. Uh, All three boys are four years or younger, so highly caffeinated is the way that I like to live my life. My staff is the same way. Most of us have young kids, so we are running on caffeine and passion and all kinds of different stuff up here, but uh, coffee is a mainstay in this office for sure. Well, we'll start way back uh, before you were a coffee drinker. Um, Tell me about growing up and tell me about how you got your love for sports. Yeah, well, uh, grew up in the Midwest, born in Indiana. Uh, Muncie, Indiana, where Ball State University is. I uh, lived there for five years. <clears throat> Moved to just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. I'm one of six kids. I've got three older brothers, an older sister and a younger sister. Um, so you can imagine in my house uh, a lot of competition. Um, it was, uh, I don't want to say it was tough, but it you know, it, it, everything was a competition. There, you know, competition for food competition for uh, getting your voice heard and and all that kind of stuff. So I think just that competitive mindset and, and just that love of competition is something that, you know, growing up in a bigger family um, and around people that, that love sports and love competition was the very first thing for me in my life without even knowing it was just uh, kind of second nature. And uh that's probably where we got our competitive drive and, and where I first established my love for sports, just growing up in the Midwest and loving Notre Dame football and Indiana basketball and Lou Holtz and Bob Knight and, you know, the just coming off the big red machine right as I was kind of growing up and watching Davey Concepcion and Barry Larkin down at Riverfront Stadium when I was uh, young and, and a, a bunch of those uh, former Reds, I think just established my love for all kinds of different sports and so uh, it was a great time to grow up in the 80s and and in the midwest you didn't know a whole lot different and and uh, a lot of really good sports teams did you play other sports 
In high school, I played uh, football and baseball. I played one year of organized basketball when I was in, I think, the seventh or eighth grade. Um, I wasn't very good. Uh, couldn't shoot. I could foul really well. Um, my dad broke my heart when I was uh, in third grade when I was signed up for uh, CYO basketball. And then the night before tryouts, he told me that I wasn't going to actually get to play. Uh, he reminded me that I probably didn't have the skill set to, to play beyond the third grade. So uh, that was part of uh, some tough love. Still remember it. You know, it's amazing the things you remember. He was probably right. Probably. I say probably because, you know, you just never know. I'm a five foot ten, short, fat guy that can't shoot. So I probably could have made the NBA. What position did you play football and baseball? I caught in baseball, um, played a little bit of third base um, in high school, but caught was my main catcher was my main position um, in high school and, and uh, college and then in football I was a quarterback so yeah I was a lot skinnier then and uh, we ran the full house double tight end and I handed the ball off about you know 45 times a game and threw about six or seven passes and ran a little bit of options so being a quarterback you have to know so much even at the high school level you have to read in an offense like that how did being a quarterback even way back then in high school how has it helped you on the baseball diamond number one and then as a coach one in high school I played for a guy named Terry Malone who uh, when he retired he was uh, the head coach at my high school for 46 years uh, he just passed away last spring unbelievable man of uh, faith and conviction um, hard-nosed as they come uh, but he retired after 46 years as the winningest high school uh, football coach in the state of Ohio which if you know anything about high school football in the United States Ohio is probably somewhere in the top five or six best states in the country um, I mean he's a legend you know and, and having a chance to play for him um, I think established a little bit of, of just being able to fight through adversity and, and having a blue collar mentality because, I mean, you said, yeah, you got to read some things. We had about seven plays in our playbook, um, you know, so it wasn't, you know, but, but it was about execution. It wasn't about trying to trick anybody. It was, these are, this is who we are. This is what we're about. And we're just going to go out and try to, to out execute you. So, so being able to establish that and just see the success that he had with that was was something that stuck with me for a long time. But from a personal standpoint, being a quarterback and being kind of that that person that has their hands on the baseball all the time, and then a catcher, same thing, um, allowed me to kind of find my voice. You know, I, I I say to my players all the time, you know, when when they respond to me and I can't hear them. Um, no one's ever accused me of of speaking lightly, um, and I think. Being a quarterback, being a catcher, being someone that, that had to be vocal often um, from a young age, I think allowed me to establish my personal voice and, and a coaching voice, I think, in terms of um, being able to communicate and being able to uh, try to fight through some adversity and, and hopefully lead through some of that adversity. You played baseball in college. Tell me about your uh, collegiate career. 
I ended up as, you know, probably one of the, the better bullpen catchers in the Midwest. Um, <laughs> you know, I was, uh, I was a pretty good high school player. Um, I went to Bowling Green State University for my first two years and uh, Division One school in, in the Mid-American Conference. They were coming off of back-to-back uh, conference championships in 98 and 99. Uh, my best friend, the, the uh, best man in my wedding, his older brother played there, and so I knew him and, and had been to some camps. Went there, really enjoyed my experience. I didn't play a whole lot. Um, Maddie Markham, the, the, my, my best man's brother, was a senior catcher, same high school, um, when I was a freshman, so I got a chance to learn a lot from him um, and and a guy named Thumper, who was the other catcher. Um, some amazing guys, uh, really good relationships. Didn't like I said, didn't play a whole lot. After my sophomore year, the the two guys that caught in front of me were coming back for their senior years. Um, as I was getting ready to go into my junior year, and I decided to transfer to try to find a place to play a little bit more. I transferred to the University of Indianapolis and uh, played my last two years there. Played played a bit more there. Um, you know, we uh, had some really successful teams. My sophomore year at Bowling Green, we won the, the Mid-American Conference regular season championship. Um, my senior year at University of Indianapolis, we were one game away from going to the College World Series at the Division II level. Um, and uh, got to play for two, again, just – shaping my maybe my coaching career got to play for two more legendary coaches longtime coaches at Bowling Green a guy named Danny Schmitz who's still there um, I think he's in his 27th or 28th year at, at Bowling Green he played in the College World Series at Eastern Michigan and and uh, for the Olympic team played AAA for nine or ten years little short German guy with a fiery uh, man just fiery and old school and um didn't know I learned as much from him while I was playing for him as I did now that I coach. Um, and then at University of Indianapolis, played for a guy named Gary Vaught, um, who's won like 900-something games and, and been to a couple of World Series, uh, was, a, was the Big 8 Coach of the Year, I think, at Kansas State and coached at Oral Roberts um, and has been in Indianapolis now for, for about 20 years and, and had some really, really successful teams. So I've, I've been – Fortunate and blessed to to really be able to play for some legendary guys from the high school level. Even my high school baseball coach, a guy named Mark Mouse, won two state championships. Um, again, old school, uh, hard nosed. Um, so I think that's a common theme of of the type of coaches that that I played for that helped maybe shape my mentality and and hopefully the type of players that we try to bring in here um, at Campbell. Oh, with that background in coaching, is, is that what kind of playing for these men made you think that you want to be a coach or you could do it, or how did that happen? Yeah, you know, it, me getting into coaching was more by happenstance than by planning. Um, when I first went to college, I was a pre-law major, and I wanted to become a lawyer and potentially a politician. Uh, really big into politics, you know, just Ohio, again, Growing up in Ohio, there's been a number of U.S. presidents from the state of Ohio. That was something that interested me um, and and um, was a decent student. And so 
that's kind of how I started out. Then when I transferred, you know, you know, when you're 20 and you're trying to search for all the answers of life, you know, I, I changed my major um, to philosophy of all things, <laughs> um, philosophy and religion. I was a double major for two years, um, and uh, those were some tough classes, and uh, but some really interesting stuff. I had no idea what I was going to do with that. Uh, I ended up graduating graduating with a history degree, um, and and so, you know, I, I didn't really have a a, gr- a good plan. My dad would tell you at 22 when I came into his office and just said like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, he he basically said, Well, you better figure it out because you know the gravy trains ended. You know the. As he said, the the Bank of David has now closed for you. Um, so you know, I, I I got an opportunity. My coach Vaught um, saw me at a basketball game after I the the year after I got finished playing in January. I was at a basketball game, and um, one of his former assistants uh, was a head coach at an NAIA school. Had just lost his assistant. Um, I'd never met the guy, a guy named Scott Norwood. I had never met him. Um, he just lost his assistant um, in January, was going to be a high school coach. So he needed an assistant. I needed a job. Um, and he said, hey, I can get you this job if you want it. And I said, well, where is it? He said, well, it's in Sterling, Kansas. I said, well, where the heck is Sterling, Kansas? He said, I don't know. What's it matter? You know? And so I said, well, you're, you know, you're kind of right. So um Long story short, ended up getting offered that job, talked to Coach Norwood a a couple of times on the phone. Uh, He offered me the job on a Friday. I took the job on Monday. I packed up my uh, Isuzu Trooper and uh, left Wednesday night to get to the first day of practice in Sterling, Kansas on Thursday afternoon. Drove through the night. I lived in the dorms, uh, and I threw batting practice the very first day of practice on Thursday Met the guy at about 10 o'clock in the morning, and I was throwing BP for him at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in uh, what was then, and it may still be, the smallest NAI school in the country, uh, Sterling College. Wow. Where is that in Kansas? Yeah, it's about 60 miles, um, I think, north of... Um, of Wichita, kind wow. of right, right it's in, out there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> oh, wow. right in the middle of the state. Um, the closest town that anybody has probably ever heard of is Hutchinson, Kansas. Uh, Hutch Junior College is right there. Um, is about twenty five minutes away. So if we wanted to go get a good meal, um, we would either eat at Haldon's, which was the uh, local Mexican restaurant, which was in the Exxon Station, um, or we would drive into Hutch. What? made you fall in love with coaching and what made you decide that that was what you were going to do with the rest of your life? So that first year living in the dorms and, um, you know, the great thing about working for coach Norwood was that he gave me the ability to have a say and to be invested. It was just him and I, um, we didn't have any other assistants. There was nobody, nobody else. Um, so he asked me if I could do the pitching. I was a catcher. Sure, I can do the pitching. I mean, how hard can it possibly be? Um, you know, and so, but I also got a chance to do a bunch of other things. I threw BP every day, and I got to coach first base, and I got to do all the recruiting and make the phone calls and just really dive right in um, with no set parameters really on what my limitations were. And I think being allowed to do that and being allowed to have some ownership in that 
it made me, you know, feel like, hey, man, this might be something I can do for a long time because I really enjoy it. Um, I, I didn't have any, I didn't have any preconceived notions. There was no time in my life before then. I was like, man, I really want to be a college baseball coach. It was just kind of a new adventure. We had success. I enjoyed doing what I was doing. And, uh, and it just kind of took off from there. How much did you make? I made, um, I made a thousand dollars a month. <laughs> Free lodging in the dorms. I lived in the dorms. Yep. <laughs> I lived in the dorms. And it's not like some of the dorms that we've built here. That, you know, I did have my own room. Um, it was a double room. I pushed the beds together. So I had one giant bed. Um, there was no cable in the dorms. Uh, community bathrooms, which was not a big deal because that's how it was when I was in the dorms at Bowling Green. And, you know, I walked across to the to the baseball field and, you know, did my deal. And our locker room was in the, in the uh, visitor side of the football stadium. And, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I was 23. I was coaching college baseball. I felt like, you know, I had a lot of friends that, that were 23 that were living in their parents' basements and they were jealous of me doing what I was doing, making, you know, $900 a month after taxes. So what could be better than that? How did your coaching journey get you to Bowie's Creek? So after that, you know, so I moved to Sterling, Kansas in, in January. Um, we had a really good year. Um, that was uh, Coach Norwood's third year at Sterling. Um, had taken a program that wasn't very good and, and kind of turned it around. We went to the regional. Um, and we were going through some scheduling. And we called a, a school in Arkansas called Lion College that was an NAIA, you know, top 15 program. A guy named Kirk Kelly was the head coach there um, to, to set up some scheduling. And Coach Norwood just kind of casually asked, hey, are there any jobs open down there? Are there any, any openings going to happen? And, and Kirk said, yeah, you know, actually there's a Division II job called Washita Baptist, you know, and um, that's going to open up. The guy, you know, the guys, they were nine and forty-five, and uh, they're looking. They're going to look for a new head coach. And uh, so Scott says, "Hey, look up uh, Washita Baptist." So I start typing in my computer at my desk. We shared an office. Um, you know, Washita W A S. I'm like, man, there ain't no Washita coming up on my computer. I, what? He's like, it's not spelled with a W. It's like it's like a Q or something. Well, it's spelled O U A C H I T A. Anyways, he ends up getting that job. Um, I move. I go home in May after we lose out in the regionals. He goes um, and interviews there at Washita. Ends up getting that job. Uh, asked me to come with him. You know, as much as I appreciated my experience at Sterling, I was already ready to move on. It was a very small town. Um, good people, very good people. Um, but I felt like, you know, I mean, I'm 23, 24 years old. I've been a college baseball coach for six months. Um, coach Norwood gave me the opportunity to move with him to Arkadelphia, Arkansas, uh, Washita Baptist Division II, NCAA Division II school. Um, and uh, so I moved there, and uh, that was in um, – 2005, I guess 2004, the summer of 2004, our first season was 2005. They were coming off a nine and 45 season. So we had some work to do um, and uh, went there. I made even less money 
uh, I made $3,000 for the year for a nine month contract. I think I think I have my first pay stub around here somewhere. It's like $295. My rent was $275. I had a cell phone payment. I had a lot, you know, but again, I just didn't care. Yeah. You know, again, was doing something that I felt like I had a chance to be good at and that I had a passion for. And uh, so went to Washita, was there for three years. We, We won. Uh, 26 games our first year after they had just won nine. Um, so we went 26 and 27. Then we went 31 and 24. And then my third year there, we went 50 and 10 and, and hosted a, an NCAA regional. First time that, that Washita had ever been to a regional. First time they had ever hosted a regional. First time they had ever won more than 40 games. I think the school record for wins when we got there was like 28. Um, and uh, we went 50 and 10. We were ranked number one in the country for a while. And and, uh, and so at the end of that year, you know, um, I had formed a relationship with uh, Greg Goff, who was the head coach at University of Montevallo, who was in the same conference as us, but on the east side. We were on the west side of uh, the Gulf South Conference. They were in the regional at our place. We had developed a relationship. We had played them every year, and uh, he got the head coaching job here. And uh, after, I think, four or five or maybe eight or ten guys turned down the recruiting coordinator job, uh, he called me in July. I'll never forget it. It was uh, July 3rd he called me. I was umpiring a uh, 4th of July tournament to make some cash in the summer and uh, left me a voicemail and and, uh, said he wanted to talk to me about maybe coming out here and being his recruiting coordinator, and, and that worked out and uh, moved out here the first week of August in 2007. We have seen Jim Perry Stadium. We are sitting in the beautiful, nearly brand-new addition in the Jim and Daphne Perry Pavilion, so people realize that this facility has changed. But what I think they don't realize is – you were here before I got here, and I got here in, in 2011. But the change that this place has gone through, I almost, I, I try to tell people it's like when they move from Carter Gym to Gore Arena. Paint the picture of when you showed up at Bowie's Creek and what this place was like. Yeah, you know, when I showed up in Bowie's Creek, um, they had brick dugouts, which I thought was pretty cool, and they had a large inning-by-inning scoreboard, which I thought was really cool coming from Division Two. I'm like, hey, man, this is great. Like, This scoreboard's a little bit bigger than the one we had at Washita, and we just built new dugouts there, but we had to use block and not brick, and they've got brick here, so that was great. Um, they had a system um, for the backstop netting where it was on flagpoles where if – if there was going to be ice, you could lower the net, which sounds like it's smart, but it's like the worst idea ever. Like it's, you know, it just, you know, it's just, you know, there was a couple of aluminum bleachers. I mean, essentially, if you went to your local high school, wherever you are, if you went to one of your local high school fields um, and saw their stadium set up, it would be very similar to what we had when we got here in 2007. Again, I didn't know a whole lot better um, because that wasn't the facilities piece in 2007. We were still just on the cusp of the facilities race that was getting ready to take over the next 10 years. Um, We were way behind. I didn't know it at the time. I found out pretty quickly when we got into recruiting and uh, we went to some other places and, 
you know, went to some other fields and stuff. But we were way behind. It was it was essentially a decent high school facility from from a stands and backdrop. The locker room was, um, you know, we were in the pool. You know, we were in the the natatorium. Our offices weren't at the field. They were over in the middle of campus, um, which is now our academic services building. Um, you know, so we had some challenges. We didn't know it, but we had some challenges at the time. Um, to now, you know, eleven years later, sitting here, it's it's almost hard to fathom the the speed and the the change that it it has happened um, over the last eleven years. You, you dream it, you hope for it, you uh, want things, you plan for it, um, but to see it kind of come to fruition over the course of time and and what it took um, to be able to build what we have here now um, is a pretty amazing journey. Tell me about the rebuilding process with the actual team, let alone this facility before the run, before the conference championships, the 40-win season, the NCAA tournament berth. The year before that was not great. No, it was the worst year we've had in in my 10 years here. We went 17 and 37, um, and I thought it was going to be one of our best years. It was our fourth year here. We had kind of the first year, the year before we got here in 2007, um, we'd gone 11 and 45 here at Campbell. And and the first year we went 21 and whatever. Second year we won 27. Third year we won 28. We were kind of stair-stepping it and uh, with the win total – and the fourth year was going to be our last year in the Atlantic Sun. And uh, we felt like we had a pretty good team. Uh, we had just hired a new pitching coach, a guy named Rick McCarty. So we were pretty excited about it. And um, we go out. We had an injury in the summer. We lost one of our, uh, one of our weekend starters. And um, it just didn't go as planned, man. And uh, I, I distinctly remember in 2011, the spring of 2011, I'm, I'm driving in the middle of Illinois recruiting on the road while we're playing somewhere or doing something. We were bad. We were just not very good. Um, had some good players, but we were not performing. And uh, I remember calling a guy named Chris Marks who played for me at Washita, who's now one of my assistants, I, I called him. I said, Chris, I, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. Like, or like, I don't know what, like, I thought we were pretty good. I thought I was good at my job. Like, we're terrible. And it's just, you know, it, it beats you down. You know, it humbles you to a level that I had never been humbled before in, in 2011. And, um, you know, I, I really we had to do some soul searching. You know, if you talk to Greg Goff right now, if you talk to Rick McCarty right now about 2011, they would probably tell you the same thing. We hit our knees a lot that, that year, um, to really try to do some soul searching on, are we on the right path? Are we doing the right things? Is this the way that we should be running this program? And sometimes that patience, you know, and sometimes that vision of when you think it should happen versus, when it actually happens, doesn't line up a whole lot. And I think that's what 2011 to 2012 um, kind of showed us, you know, where we felt like we were on the right track. We had a lot of really good players. You know, that 2011 team, that pitching staff had like a 771 ERA or something like that. It ended up, there was two future big leaguers on that staff, Matt Marksbury and Jake Smith. There was 
um, Matt Sergey, who who played professionally um, both in independent leagues and for the the A's organization. Um, I mean, we had some really good players. We just maybe didn't get the most out of them as a coaching staff that year. Um, but over the course of time, you know, some of that struggle and, and adversity really played into our success in 2012, going from 17 wins to 41 wins to 49 to 41 to, you know, getting rolling there in 12, 13, and 14. When you think back to that run that happened a, a year later than you thought it was, it was one of the best runs in the three years in college baseball of anyone in the entire nation. Um, when, you, when you think back, what, what do you think about with those times and those teams? You know, it's funny because in, in, in 2012, we had an 18-game win streak, which was more wins than we had in all of 2011. Um, you know, what I think about when I think about that three-year period and, and, and the opportunities that we had... Um, is really just the the guys that, that we had a chance to be a part of their lives, not just um, our players, which we had a lot of really good players, but we, we got guys in from all over the country that didn't care about the past and that really just wanted to win and do it for each other. And we had a coaching staff that really cared about each other. and And so for me... What I cherish the most about those three years, yeah, the two championship rings and the regional and all that stuff was just the love and caring and and brotherhood and family atmosphere that that really was stamped that we've been trying really hard to build, but was really stamped in stone over those three years from a staff, um, coaching staff wise, extended staff standpoint, and the players in the locker room, and you know that's carried over to the last three years um, to the point where, you know, we had an alumni game for the first time ever in the fall and we had 40-something alumni back and a large portion of those guys, I would say probably 90% of those guys that came back were from the last 10 years. They were from, you know, the 2008 team through the 2016 team, um, 17 team, and uh, it was like uh, it was like a big family reunion. And that that's as special as it comes. Among other things, your incredible recruiting to get those players from literally from Hawaii to New York and, and everywhere in between, you were sort of a no-brainer to move into the head coaching position when, when Coach Goff got another Division One head coaching job. What has been the biggest difference, and that's probably another 30-minute podcast, but what what has been the biggest thing as you becoming a head coach, the biggest difference? I think the biggest difference, and I've given this a lot of thought as we've gone through it and experienced some really good times and some really um, challenging times over the last three years, the biggest difference is, is really trying to find my own voice and my own style um, as great as Coach Goff was for me and for um, our program and for my career and as close of a friend as I am to him and he is to me. Uh, I'm not him and he's not me. And I think early I tried to just carry on what he had kind of established. And so the challenge has been 
to accept who I am and what I care about and what I feel like is important and is going to help us get to the next level and, and what our staff feels like and then embrace that 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 difference and try to develop the not to continue what we had in 2013 and you know 12 13 and 14 but to establish the next level of that and and, and that's been that's been the biggest difference of going from being the guy that has all the answers as an assistant, you know, because you don't have to have them, but you do have them, to then being the guy that has to have them. And maybe you're searching for them because you have to see it in a different light. Um, that's been an adjustment. That's been a challenge. Um, but it's been a fun one. And it's been a great, it's been a great, you know, last three years. And, and I feel like our best days are certainly ahead of us. I feel like we're, we're really starting to kind of come into our own now as a staff. Final question, two very big parts of your life that you put ahead of baseball is your family and your faith. Mm -hmm. Some people say that, but when the microphone and the camera isn't rolling, I know you truly believe that. Talk about those aspects. Yeah, you know, I think think one fuels the other. You know, um, my faith is, you know, growing up in the Midwest and and growing up in a Catholic family— and in the 80s, you know, and, and the 90s, faith isn't something that you really talk about a whole lot. It was it was a very personal thing. As as I moved into the South, into the Bible Belt, and, you know, married a, a girl that was a Baptist, and, and uh, it's a lot more personal. It's a lot more uh, outgoing. And, and I think as a leader of men and, and someone that, that tries to have a positive effect on, on a bunch of young men, my faith has gotten me through a lot of tough times, but but my faith, more importantly, my relationship with Jesus Christ um, has fueled the way that I try to build my relationships with my family, with my players, with my staff, with the people around me, um, because I know I'm undeserving. You know, I know that uh, that if it was me on my own, I would have been crushed a long time ago, and. Uh, and I'm just thankful for uh, those opportunities that that the good Lord's provided for me, and then um, you know, and, and that had led to my family, uh, led to me meeting my wife when I was at Washtenaw Baptist University as as an assistant, um, and uh, the Lord removing people from my life and putting people in my life and, and put her in my life, and was gracious enough to remove some people that I thought maybe should stay in my life, and. Uh, and through that, he's just continued to bless us with the opportunities and and uh, and and the blessings of three little blonde boys at the house, <laughs> uh, a four-year-old Jackson, a three-year-old Parker, and a three-month-old Max. Um, my wife is up for sainthood next year, um, dealing with them and me. And, uh, you know, the good Lord just continues to bless us. He humbles us when we need to be humbled. And... Uh, he blesses us when we need to be blessed, and he guides us and sees us through uh, all the ups and downs um, because he's paid the price for us, and he's made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And um, just being able to share that and being able to be in an environment here at Campbell where that's not, you know, where, where that's out in the open, where we can be who we are, and, and that can be a big part of our program, a big part of my family, and. Uh, It's just uh, we're truly fortunate for that, for sure. Thank you, Coach. Thanks, Chris.